Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Job Hunting Podcast. I'm Renata Bernardi, your host, and in this podcast, I give you tips, advice, and I interview experts to help you nail your next job and have the best career, a career that ties your dreams and your life together and not only pays for your bills, but also moves you towards your goals and your future aspirations. I want this podcast to be a one-stop shop for you, career enthusiasts, job hunters, veterans that are facing career disruption and transition, rising stars who want to learn as much as they can to enable their career progressions and goals. Here you will hear from experts and professionals that came before you are a few years or decades ahead of you and have great stories and examples to share on how they have achieved their career goals. Today we have Paul Burrows and the goal for him was to become financial independent and having the ability to make choices about where and when he wanted to retire or how much him and his wife wanted to work. Paul is now financially independent and a few years ago he decided it was time for him to retire. He has been a great mentor to other professionals and has a keen interest in career development. So I believe he is a great fit for this podcast, both with his career experience and knowledge as well as by having the right mindset of giving back and helping others achieve their best. If you're not yet subscribed to this podcast, please do so wherever you are, wherever you're listening right now, be it YouTube, iTunes or Spotify, you should subscribe and keep in touch. You can also subscribe to be part of my community. And if you do so, I will send you a newsletter every week with the new podcast episodes. They will land in your inbox together with important news and announcements from me, services that I'm providing my clients that you might want to sign up to, and some extra resources that I curate specifically for my community. In fact, Paul has been very good as my friend in helping me curate those resources and sending me great articles to share with my community. By subscribing to my newsletter, it's really the easiest and cheapest way for you to action your career strategy and continue to invest in your professional development. It will keep you accountable and keep your career planning top of mind for you. To take a step further and speed up the results for your career progression, you should contact me for a career strategy session. Now, for a limited time, everyone who is subscribed to my community is invited to book a free consultation with me. So make sure that you subscribe. This is a 60 to 70 minute career strategy session. The link for you to book that consultation is the link to join, to subscribe to my community. And once you do that, you will access my my booking calendar. So you will find that link in the episode show notes. Now, a disclaimer that we will be talking about early retirement, becoming financially independent, but this is not financial advice. The information in this podcast is general in nature, does not take into account your personal circumstances, financial needs and objectives. So before acting on any information, you should consider if it's appropriate to you. And in particular, you should see an independent advisor. 
Okay, so this is really about sharing with you career stories and making you aspire and become ambitious for your own career goals. I hope you enjoy this interview with my friend Paul Burrows to talk about becoming financially independent. Paul will also talk about career transition, retirement, and his redundancy experience. So it's a really rich podcast interview, and I hope you enjoy it. So let's begin. Paul, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background, your career, and what you did? Okay. So I'll, I'll start um, right at the beginning because it is, it is relevant to what we're talking about. So I left, went to school in Sydney and I left school after doing my um, high school certificate and I thought when I left there was a three or four month gap between then and potentially going to university and I um, got a, a job um, in a shipping company in Sydney and for better or for worse, um, I actually enjoyed it so much and I enrolled at Arts at Sydney University and um, I didn't go um, because I was enjoying work so much and um, uh, that's really where my focus was at the time. So I stayed in shipping for a couple of years and um, changed um, companies that I was with in, in different roles across the shipping industry and really enjoyed it. Um, you know, it was outdoors that you got to go down to ships and you saw interesting people and, um, you know, it was an international business. So, mm. you know, absolutely fantastic. After that, um, I got the opportunity to actually moved to a small company as a ship broker. So effectively matching up um, ships with cargo. And, mm -hmm. um, and that transitioned um, as a business also into oil trading. So we used to buy and sell um, fuel um, all over the world um, to supply ships. And a long story short, um, I ended up owning um, a 30% um, or a third of that, that business. And we were, at the time, you know, leaders in the world, even though we were a small company. We had a small office in Singapore. So um, it was a lot of fun and, um, uh, you know, quite a lot of international travel um, involved. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, lots of fun doing that. And as it turned out, probably 12 months after I, you know, um, had ownership in that business, um, BHP um, approached me. Um, really out of the blue um, and somewhat unexpected, um, although in saying that, you know, we were a major, you know, customer of BHP um, uh, buying fuel from them. Mm -hmm. And they they asked me to a meeting up in, um, or in Sydney, and BHP at the time had bought a refinery in Hawaii, um, believe it or not. So it was actually the head of um, marketing over in Hawaii that, that asked me to come along. And I thought um, initially it was really just to say thanks for, Thanks for the business, but um, at lunch he actually, you know, said we're interested in um, in hiring you to actually start up a physical oil trading business for BHP in Australia, uh, which was a bit of a surprise. And uh, to be honest with you, I thought um, leaving a private enterprise on my own firm and going to work for BHP was was like joining the public service. Um, <laughs> but he did say, um, "Would you like, you know, to uh, we'd like you to come over to Hawaii and." And um, you know, meet the management over there. Well, that was um, that was too tempting to say no to. Yeah, he um, was so I booked my flights and yeah, <laughs> tremendous. Um, so I booked my and my, really, I said to um, to Jim at the time, you know, how long can I stay for? Which was probably my motivation at the time, um, <laughs> more so. And um, 
you know, it, but it did prick my interest as well. So I went over to Hawaii, you know, met people over there, and then they said, we'd like you to go to Melbourne and meet the management down there. And, you know, before you know it, you know, I got, you know, a fantastic offer, and, and, um, and there I was. So really that was a startup business, and I was only um, 27, you know, when that started. Um, uh-huh. So I was only relatively young and probably a little bit naive, but I was, you know, very fortunate being a specialist in the field that, you know, there was a limited amount of people, certainly in Australia and probably in the world, that, uh, you know, that, that they could have picked from. Um, yeah. So that was tremendous. Um, I started that business and um, from scratch and, um, um, and it did very well, I must say, and I absolutely loved it. So I was in that business for six or seven years um, and then I got the opportunity to um, go over to Perth and, and live in Perth and, um, and run BHP's um, logistics business um, over in Western Australia and up in the Northern Territory. And I, I chose to do that to really broaden my career from very much a commercial focus to an operational focus. So mm-hmm. I was going from oil trading and shipping to, um, uh, you know, looking after um, ships, trucks and trains. So that was great. And I probably did that for um, four or five years um, before another opportunity came up in BHP to move back to Melbourne and um, and head up a um, consulting um, group which looked at um, logistics solutions for our global mineral business. So that was a bit different and, and a job that was interesting but um, that wasn't me. Um, it didn't have a P&L and didn't have a bottom line. And um, uh, after about three years, um, Billiton came in um, and merged with BHP. And at that point in time, there were dramatic changes in the company. And um, uh-huh. I could have either have gone um, overseas and work in Singapore or, or Rotterdam, or I had the opportunity of taking a package. So while it was frightening to some extent, um, you couldn't get the smile off my face, having been there for 11 years. I remember um, that's when we met. You were very happy. I was happy, um, <laughs> but nervous at the same time. Um, yes. And um, after, after taking that, and I suppose it was a bit of a shock at the time because it was somewhat unexpected, and then you start to wonder, well, what am I going to do now? And there's all sorts of insecurities, and, mm-hmm. um, and then you feel a little bit you know, unsure as to what you're going to do. And I, I had an outplacement you know, group that, that DHP provided, which I, I found to some extent useful but also frustrating at the same time. Uh-huh. Um, and I quickly realised that, you know, the only way that I was going to move forward was to actually do it myself and not rely on these these people or the advice that they were, you know, necessarily providing me. And I nearly got a couple of roles in the same, you know, industry, but, you know, for various reasons, you know, they didn't come to fruition. And I, I thought to myself, well, what do I really want to do? And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I always read the financial review every day, and mm-hmm. um, I decided that I'd actually change industries altogether and get into banking and financial and investment advice. So at the time, my my lovely wife, Penny, we had young kids and wasn't working. So Penny decided uh, that she'd actually go back to work and she works as a a theatre nurse in hospitals. Uh And I would study for, um, for 12 months to get my financial planning qualifications, which is what I did at the same time landscaped my backyard. I remember um, that. And you pulled your carpet as well, I remember. Yes, I did all sorts of things. Um, <laughs> and study was in the middle of all of that. But um, yeah. so it was a good year and I went to pick up at school and, you know, I suppose, um, you know, bonded with the kids more and, 
when I finished that, I started to apply um, for positions um, mm-hmm. and not knowing really what companies to join or, or how it all worked. This was probably 20 years ago and it was, you know, to some extent a, um, a growing um, business. But mm-hmm. I applied to a couple of the banks and I thought to myself, I don't know the difference between one or the other. So the first person hopefully that offers me a position I'll take. And yes. that happened to be with the, the Commonwealth Bank. Mm-hmm. And the whole objective in that year too with Penny going back to work was not to waste my redundancy, but to actually try to keep as much of that money as we could, you know, to move forward and get ahead. So I started working for the CBA and I was on um, 30% of my salary that I was on at BHP. So that was fine because I yeah. had the confidence that, you know, I knew that um, like in any industry, if you do well, you'll rise to the top. And it was an opportunity for me to some extent, you know, to prove that I could do it again. Because yeah. uh, I was, you know, BHP, I was in a fairly senior position, especially for my age, mm-hmm. and I didn't think it was a fluke. Um, so I thought if I go there, I don't really care what I'm on as long as I get into the business and have mm-hmm. a go. So I stayed at uh, CBA for 18 months and, um, you know, it taught me an awful lot. I had a great boss at the time who really showed me the ropes, um, yeah. but it was a big transition coming in from a senior management position effectively, you know, to the bottom rung of a new industry. And I went to meetings, um, what I thought was to, you know, input and improve the business and give thoughts. But it took me about 18 months to realise I was just there to be told what to do. So that was a Very that humbling, was quite a isn't it, Paul? Oh, very much so. And uh, there's nobody to give any work to, you know, any work mm. needs to be done by you. So, and there was no delegation because there was nobody to delegate to. So it was different, but really quite exhilarating, mm. you know, to be in a new industry. And there were lots of learnings and, and um, you know, quite refreshing. So after that, I probably having a bad day and um, we had the free MX newspaper on the train and it had an ad in there for a senior financial planning role um, through a recruiting company and I I applied for that and the next day probably got better but before you know it the ball was rolling and I was in discussions you know with the headhunter who introduced me to the um, ultimate employer which was NAB um, Uh in the business bank so I joined them and it certainly at that point in time wasn't my extensive you know investment or financial planning advice or um, career that got me that job Um, Uh it was more my business background so I stayed there for um, 11 years and absolutely loved it, dealing with business people, um, giving advice to um, business owners and, and companies and boards. And I built, you know, quite a successful um, practice, um, uh-huh. you know, and, and loved it there. So things changed um, a little bit at NAB at that point yeah. in time. And while it was a big decision, I decided I'd leave. And at that point in time, I was probably in my early 50s um, and I wasn't going to particularly, you know, go back to work. So that's sort of when this all started but didn't end um, because um, ANZ Private Bank, where they've got their wealthier uh, customers, actually approached me to go and work for them. Um, So I was only effectively retired at that point in time for a week before I started and I just thought it was just too good an opportunity and something totally different to what I'd seen before. So I joined um, ANZ um, in their Melbourne office and um, um, I was there for 18 months um, before I just decided, you know, that the industry had changed, you know, that much and I really wasn't, it wasn't ANZ, I enjoyed ANZ, but the industry itself I really, you know, wasn't enjoying as I should. Um, So that's when I decided to, um, 
um, to leave ANZ and, you know, effectively, um, you know, not work or decide, you know, what I wanted to do. And since then, that was probably four or five years ago, since then I've done some contracting, but I've yeah. reached the point now in the last year or so where I've decided that I'm not going to work again. So that's me done. <laughs> that's, that's interesting. Paul, throughout this whole time, even from an early age, did you have the goal of retiring early? Was that something that you thought about and prepared for along the way? I'm told I did. Um, my mother-in-law and my wife said I was planning this ever since I was 25. Uh-huh. Um, so why do, they, why do you think they think that? What made them lead to think that? Well, probably, probably in the way that I behaved and, you know, what I did. And, and um, I suppose I had to explain my actions to somebody and and to some extent they were correct but um it may have been perceived what i it's interesting because you know you say you retire and everybody looks at you as though you're strange and it's not about retirement what it was all about was financial independence Uh um and what financial independence brings you is choice yeah so you know what i've achieved is financial independence and i've chosen not to work but you know if had i not got to that point um i wouldn't have the choice and i'd have to be working and to me that would be you know hell and that would be a nightmare so the idea was to get to that point you know as soon as i possibly could and and penny my wife you know um, obviously has the choice to not work and i'd love her not to work but um she's chosen that she'd like to work three days a week um and it's more because she enjoys what she does and it's also the social interaction yeah. Um, you know, which I don't, I don't feel I need. So that's what was the driver, um, yeah. you know, along this whole, this whole journey. And did you develop that uh, planning of being financially independent after you started studying for um, your financial planning certificate or were, were you always mm-hmm. very careful and, and strategic about that? No, no, it was way before that. Um, yeah, I can, I so can, I joined... Yeah. Joined BHP when I was 27, and I think it all started to happen when I was 25 mm-hmm. after starting work at 18. So, mm-hmm. so it started before that, and you know we've always been fairly conservative in what we've done, and and I've always thought, you know, um, I was very fortunate to get the BHP position. I worked very hard and I was successful, but I, I didn't live a high flying life, which I very well could have. And we've always been fairly conservative, and I've always had the view that. I wanted to reward myself for all the hard work by saving each month. Um, uh, you know, and most that's people a great would concept. Say, <laughs> yeah. Well, most people would say I'm going to reward myself for the hard work and start spending, yeah, um, yes. which as an advisor, you know, I saw over and over again. So this is normal behaviour, but, you know, I've tried not to be normal <laughs> um, and I've, I've tried not to be conventional um, yeah. because you start to go down that path and you end up like everybody else. And, you know, that's just not a good way to be. Yes. And uh, you are a great mentor to your kids. You have three boys and also to younger people coming into the profession, financial advisors and people that I know that you've mentored before. Do you, Mm. what would you say to somebody who is 25 or in their early 30s and is keen to start developing this plan of being financially independent at an early age what would you say to them are the key things they need to consider yeah well the first thing i'd say is that it's never too late if you're older 
mm-hmm. you can do amazing things. But obviously, the sooner you start, you know, the easier it is and the, and the better it is. But I think you need to have the right mindset and I think you need the right um, motivation and you need a financial goal. So you need to feel passionate about it because at the end of the day, there are sacrifices to be made and, and it's not exciting. It's somewhat boring, you know, to be doing this. But, you know, I can assure people, you know, that it's, it's, um, it's really worthwhile and it gives you security and some comfort that, you know, nobody can do things to you. And if they do do things to you, then you're in a position of strength that you can take time and, and think about what you're going to do itself. You know, the other thing I've always been an advocate of is, is to buy quality, you know, at a discount price. So that applies to, you know, to every asset, you know, that you buy. Um, so you don't need lots of things, but you need quality things that, you know, that last. And you can always buy those, you know, things at a discount. Uh, and I'll, I'll use some examples of that, you know, um, potentially as we as we go on. And I think the other thing you need to look at is um, is what you know what are you doing, and you know should you continue to do that. So that applies not only you know to your financial situation, but it also applies to your career and your job. Um, yeah. And I think there are so many people that you know beaver at what they're doing. But they don't really look up and say, well, you know, am I doing the right thing? And, you know, should I really be doing this? And from a career perspective, you know, you've only got so many jobs that um, you're going to be doing in your lifetime. And you need to be somewhat strategic about those and pick the right jobs that are actually going to add to your skills and get you to where you want to go. Yes, yes. Um, uh, well, one so, thing that I um, teach when I do the Reset Your Career webinars, which I've done earlier this year, is um, I talk about having a minimum income that you would accept when you go into a, a transition period like you did, right? Mm, so if you mm. operate, if you know what your minimum budget is, then it's easier for you to make career transitions like you've done because you know how how low you can go and not be yeah, in absolutely. stress, right? Did yeah, you consider yeah, absolutely. that when you changed careers? You, you mentioned that uh, briefly about not wasting your redundancy and then knowing that you were accepting a salary that was lower than the one from your previous career, but understanding that that's what it took. So did you have any sort of strategic way that you thought about that in terms of your budget? I mean, you were a family, you have wife and kids at the time. How did you work that out for yourself? Well, it was probably all the groundwork I did before it happened. And I just thank my lucky stars that, you know, we we took that path because, you know, money really wasn't um, the driver. And I was in a fortunate position where it didn't need to be the driver. Um, And in fact, I thought it was rather funny that that's all they were paying me. Um, But I was confident, as I said before, I I did my research and I knew I was passionate about, you know, the industry that I was in and I was excited about it. And I knew that there was potential to do significantly better. So I had confidence in my, my skills and my ability to, you know, be reasonably sure that, you know, that wasn't going to last forever. Yes. And I think I think with all of the you know experience I had you know in my own business and in BHP, it counted for nothing, you know, in getting a, a first role in financial planning. So you know, no, but it, nobody it was counted for something. It counted skills. for something in your second role, didn't it? I did it, yes. absolutely, and it yeah. it accelerated my you know my second career as a as an mm-hmm. advisor. 
mm-hmm. because of all that experience and, and knowledge that I had and my ability to relate to other business people. So, yes. And I knew that that was the case and it was beyond me to some extent when I was applying for positions that, you know, there, there was no acknowledgement of, of that. But, but, you know, nobody can take away all of that experience and knowledge and, and training, um, you know, that you've, you've been put through and it's, um, it shouldn't be underestimated. Yes. One um, of the things that I thought you did very strategically was to choose uh, an educational pathway into the profession that's needed. Some people go and do career transitions, but they think that they need a very generic executive education program, whereas you identify that you really needed that certificate to enable you to do the career transition, which is a very... Well, it was, um, it was legislatively required. Yes, yes. Um, and, and my advice for people that are living under their redundancy packages, if, if, if it's not legally required, then you don't need it. Would you agree? No, no, no. No, no. To, yeah, to an extent, I think, I think what I realised after I left you know, my general manager role in BHP, that what companies are not looking for is generalists. They're looking for, you know, people that can come in at a senior role and solve a problem. So unless you've got those very specific um, problem-solving um, skills that the company is exactly looking for, yeah. it's unlikely that you're going to land another senior job. So what I realised is that, you know, the key to this is to become a specialist. And so you need to, one, have the skills and the aptitude for the position and and potentially if you need the qualification and the training, obviously you need to go out and and get that. But if you're a specialist and especially if you're a revenue earner, um, you're indispensable. Um, So you'll never lose your job again and you'll always be paid and highly valued by a business. So that was my... That was my view on thinking about it and thinking about what I wanted to do. Yes. Now, I Mm. want to pivot a little bit the conversation to talk in more general terms. I mean, your story is from somebody who at a very young age did really well in terms of accessing high-paying jobs in the corporate sector and, and so on. So that path in, I don't want people to think that the path into financial independence of early retirement is only for people that have your career path? No, a, not at all. Yes. So, you know, it, it's, it's really about uh, that idea of understanding the budget that you have to live with and planning your lifestyle around the income level that you have. And you can retire at any income level. Would you agree? And how would you advise somebody that is on a lower Not retire. Financial, financial independence financial is what we need to be talking about. Yes, okay, <laughs> um, right. Yeah, so, and I saw a lot of this, obviously, as an advisor. I saw, you know, hundreds of people and um, all from different backgrounds with different jobs and income levels. And uh-huh. it's not what necessarily what you earn, it's what you do with it. Yeah. Um, and my heroes, you know, in my investment advice have been people with quite ordinary salaries and ordinary um, jobs but they had an unbelievable um, strength and mindset and a lot stronger than mine. I just admired them um, so much. Um, you know, one was a, a foreman um, and safety coordinator um, on a building site um, oh, and he was a, a multimillionaire, um, wow. but, but a very ordinary guy. You know, to look at another one was a, a very small, you know, builder 
uh, who was um, in his 80s when I got involved because he wanted somebody to come and help administer his, his portfolio. But again, you know, millions of dollars, but from a very modest start. Yeah. And on the on the flip side, you know, I've seen, you know, some people on a $1.5 million salary that spent everything, believe it or not, um, every month and had very little, um, you know, in the way of, of wealth. And so, you know, the thing to, to think about is that, you know, being wealthy is not about income. Income, mm-hmm. you know, may look like wealth because you've got lots of money to spend, but true wealth is, you know, creation of, of assets, you know, houses and, and shares and superannuation. And, you know, while everybody's working, um, you know, everybody's at the dance, but it's as soon as the music stops that, you know, is the big differentiator as to, you know, what lifestyle you lead, you know, and that's really, you know, uh, that's really the key. And, you know, you see people in, you know, fancy cars and they're probably all on lease. You hear people with, um, you know, 10 houses and you become very impressed until you realise that it's all debt. Mm. So that's not wealth. And um, I, th- I think a lot of people on, on very high incomes, you know, think it's never going to end. And they spend, 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 but, you know, it always ends. And yeah. those people, you know, do look back and, and have terrible regrets about, well, what did I do? And yeah. it's too late. So yeah. it's not what you earn, it's what you do with it. And, you know, tax in Australia is a great leveller. Um, mm-hmm. So the take-home pay of somebody on a medium income or on a higher income, you know, um, in the hand is, is not, a, not a huge difference. Mm, that's a good point. Yeah, especially in Australia. Yeah. Mm. All right, my friend, I think we spoke quite a lot. Is there any other advice you would like you would give your younger self if you could go back and, and do a little bit differently? What would you do? Or maybe nothing, that's would, fine too. <laughs> no, 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 I'd do a lot differently. <laughs> um, I think the biggest mistake I made was actually not getting a degree when I should have. Oh, um, okay. And, and it's a double-edged sword. Uh-huh. Um, I think... I think that was one of the reasons why I worked so hard because around me I had people who'd, you know, been in the industry probably a lot longer than I had for the position I was in and they all had degrees and I always knew in the back of my mind I didn't have a degree and um, and I did go back and study later and I've studied, you know, all of my life since then. But I think to get a degree and qualifications early is a really good thing. And you've got the piece of paper, you've got the qualification, and then you can concentrate, you know, on your career. So that would be, you know, one thing that I've always regretted. And and I think I've taken most opportunities that have come my way, but there are a few instances where there were opportunities there and I didn't grab them. Mm. Um, so I have some regrets about, about that because it could have taken me down, you know, a different path. And one example of that when I was in a shipping company, the general manager you know, came to me and said, you know, somebody that would be a really good export manager. And I think his response from me would have been, yes, me. But mm-hmm. I went down the track of recommending a whole lot of other people. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, there are little instances like that that you look back on and say, you know, I should have done that, um, you know, done that differently. So, uh, and I've made the best mistakes. No, no, I think overall it seems like you were pretty focused. Yeah, well, I've... I've Apparently I was, that's what people tell me, but it didn't seem like that at the time. It's just what I did. Um, and, you know, I've made investment mistakes as well, but, but not serious ones. And, and I think in becoming financially independent, it's really important, you know, not to make mistakes um, yes. because they're a great destroyer of wealth. 
And, you know, we've all seen people, you know, going to retail shops and, um, you know, they pour enormous amount of their savings into those sorts of ventures and, you know, a year or two later the shop shut. And, yes. you know, I just feel very sorry um, for those people that obviously hasn't been thought through or, you know, they, um, uh, they just make mistakes. And I think, you know, buying, you know, just from a financial perspective, you know, the only debt I've ever taken on is to buy a house. So I've never taken debt on to buy a car or go on a holiday or, you know, haven't had any credit card debt where I've incurred, you know, any interest. So um, you need to be really smart about, you know, using every dollar that you've earned and you've rewarded yourself from working so hard and, and really think, you know, carefully about, you know, what you do with that dollar. And, um, yeah. Very well, Paul. I think we've given people a lot to think about. Thank you so much for your time. No, that's all right. Can I just say one more thing? Of course. Um, just to be, just to be uh, careful here that, and there's probably my financial planning background that drives this, it's, this okay. is all just general okay. advice and this has all been about, you know, my story and what I've done. So yeah. um, I'd hate people yeah. to go out and say that's what I think I should do because you really need, you know, any advice that you get given to be tailored to your personal circumstances. So oh, that's um, I just, you know, put out that general warning. Yes, and, and this is, was really about giving people um, a story, like you said, about somebody that has gone through career transitions and has had the opportunity to do many different things with their redundancy package, but, you know, chose mm. a specific path that was very successful. And it gives people hope and also examples of what they could do. Uh, but again, you're right. You have to tailor that to, to make sure it suits your needs, whoever is listening. Yeah. But also it's, it's good to hear about somebody who has been focused and had a mindset and a goal and financial independence is something that a lot of the listeners would be seeking to build for their own lives. So that's um, a good story for them to listen to, Paul. Thank you so much. Yeah, good. No, it was my pleasure, Renata. Lovely to talk to you. Okay.